0: We've been looking at the book of Ephesians and talking about the subject of the church living in the kingdom of God. At Christmas we talked about Jesus the King and the birthday of a king. And as we were doing that I just got to thinking, I wonder how that relates to being in the kingdom of God now. So how do we live in the kingdom of God? And there's no better place to look for God's idea of the church than in the book of Ephesians where in the mind of God, he tells us what the church is. In Ephesians, the first three chapters, is the church in the mind of God. And he tells us that he envisions a people who are devoted to him, who are forgiven, who are holy, that are his redeemed possession, that uh, dwell in the kingdom of God on earth. And he envisioned these as a people who would show the glory of God, because he talks about the glory of God in the church, and we are the church, we are the people of God, and so he envisions a people who show his glory, and then he put these people together in such a way that they would be Jesus Christ in the world. So he calls us the body of Christ, the church. And then the next three chapters of Ephesians, 4, 5, and 6, he just kind of gives examples of what it would be like, what it should look like as the church is living in the world. How would this church function? What would it look like if we were the body of Christ? And uh, last week we talked about the, the fact that you know, uh, Ephesians 4 points out That if we were living as the body of Christ, we would grow. We would grow to spiritual maturity. We would grow to a more complete depth and understanding of God and and who He was. That we we would grow up in all things to Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who is the one that we look for. We would grow in spiritual maturity. Now this week, what I would like for us to do is just take two verses out of Ephesians 4. And uh, jump from there and talk about how does God foresee us growing as people and as a church? How does he foresee that happening? In the passage is chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he personally gave some to be apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Define just a few words there in in that passage. He designed that we would build up the body of Christ, which he points out is the church. That it's our job... To build up the church. To to grow up the church. And there were some that he personally gave to be apostles. What's an apostle? The definition of the word apostle, if you don't look at it as a title, authoritative title, uh, like the twelve apostles or the apostle Paul, but if you just look at the word apostle, the word apostle means apostle. One who is authorized to go with a message. One who is authorized to to cross a barrier with a message. To take a message from one group to another group. And today in our world we kind of believe that, that those are the people whom we call and send as missionaries. We authorize them to go to another place and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He personally designed and gave some to be prophets. Those that we understand as prophets, we don't understand those as people who foretell the future, but people who have an ability, a God-giving ability to understand the word of God and to speak the words of God. And then he gave personally gave some to be evangelists. The, the word evangelist, you could, you could say he gave it to some to gospelize. The the word evangelist is the same word as the word good news, which is the word gospel. And so he gave some the the ability to share and to tell the good news. And then he gave some as pastors and teachers. Those two words go together, the the context, the The grammar of the Greek is in such a way that it's not two separate offices, it's one office. The pastor-teacher are those who shepherd the church and they do so by, by teaching others. And then he says, there's some who are the saints. Who are the saints? Well, when he talks about saints, he's not talking about St. Joseph and St. Teresa and St. Margaret, he's talking about those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and moved from being lost people to being saints. So, if you're in here and you're a saint, raise your hand. Yeah, we're, we're saints. That's who God has called us to be. And then he says, the work of ministry. King James says ministry New American Standard says service. The word is the same word. That, you know, it mean, means ministry. The diakonos. The, the ministry of the word. To reach out to people and to serve others. The work that we do to build up the body of Christ. And we need to know those definitions. We need to understand what Paul is talking about. So that we know how we are to act in the world today. As the body of Christ the people of God Some years ago I read a story about a woman who wanted to serve God but she didn't know how It came out of a Sunday school ministry in New York City and at that time it was the part of New York City that had been rated the most likely place to get killed Now would you like to be in a Sunday school in the most likely place in America to get killed The pastor of the church, his name was Bill Wilson, he was stabbed twice, he was shot at, and one of his staff, one of the staff members of his church had been killed. But Bill stayed right there, uh, not without controversy by the way, and he ministered in the name of Jesus to the people that the rest of the church had pretty much largely forgotten. One of the things that they did is they, they took buses and they went around that part of New York City and they picked up kiddos and brought them to the church for Sunday school. And so this was a, a bus ministry. It was back in the day when bus ministry was a big thing and they actually had the, the biggest bus ministry in, in the country. The, the community was called Hell's Kitchen. She liked to have a Sunday school ministry in Hell's Kitchen and go around to the different parts of the community and gather these children up and bring them to school, to Sunday school. So this woman that the story was about was a Puerto Puerto Rican lady who had come to the church. She accepted Christ as her Savior. She was a new Christian living in New York City. She couldn't speak a word of English. But she came to the pastor and told him through an interpreter, "I need to do something for God. I need to serve God. Please let me serve God in some way." And the pastor said, "What? Well, I don't know what you can do. You, you, you know, you don't have any training. You don't know how to. You don't know how to speak English. I, I don't know what you can do." In Spanish, she says, "Please let me do something." He said, "Okay." I'm going to put you on a bus. You're going to be part of the bus ministry. I want you to ride a different bus every week. And just as we pick up the kids, you just love the kids. You just care for the kids as they get on. So every week, she rode a different bus and loved the children. As the children would get on the bus, she would find the worst looking kid on the bus and put him on her lap or her on her lap and whisper, over and over and over, words that she had learned in English. Here's what she knew how to say. I love you. Jesus loves you. And she would just repeat those words to the kids over and over again. After several months of that, she became attracted, attached, to one little boy in particular. And she went to the pastor and said, I don't want to change buses anymore. This little boy needs me. I want to stay on this bus. And so she would. Every Sunday. or It was on Saturday actually. Every Saturday. As they picked the little guy up. um, She would talk to him. And he never spoke. He never said a word. He came to Sunday school every week with his sister. He sat on the lady's lap. But he never made a sound. And each week. She would tell him all the way to Sunday school and all the way home the words in English that she knew. I love you. Jesus loves you. I love you. Jesus loves you. And then one day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and stammered and spoke for the first time. He said, I love you too. He put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. That was at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, the boy was found dead in a garbage bag under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. The last words, some of the last words he ever heard, I love you. And Jesus loves you from the lips of a woman who could barely speak English. Do you think that qualifies as ministry? Folks, that is ministry. She did what she could. She could only speak a few words. But she took the few words that she could speak. And she shared with that little boy the love of Jesus Christ. Now, I tell you that story to tell you this you're qualified to be a minister. If that Puerto Rican lady was qualified to be a minister, you're qualified to be a minister. She was the body, the hands, the face, the lap, and the voice of Jesus Christ to that little boy. The only Jesus he ever knew. God wants us to be the body of Christ in our world. That's what he wants from us. And my job as the pastor teacher is to teach you to do that. Just that's not a, That's not a tough thing, is it? That's just my job to teach you to be the ministers, to reach our body, to reach our community, to reach people for Jesus Christ. And I want to confess... Sometimes I'm at a total loss as how to do that. I don't know what to do. You know, I, I know what the task of the preacher is, is to preach the word, practice the ministry of prayer, encourage people to grow and then get out of the way and let you grow and let you minister and let you reach out and do the work of ministry, the work of the church, work of service, to build the church. Listen to what he says. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature person to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, that's not a very big task, is it? You re- do you realize what God expects us to be and to do in our world? What, what do you think? What do you think our church looks like to God? The church is the body of Christ acting in our world. What do we look like? To him, you know, there, there are a lot of opportunities to reach out to little boys and girls. There are a lot of our people opportunity to reach out to to men and women, and to serve, and to take those opportunities, and and and, and we take many of those opportunities to serve. But I wonder if we were just to step back and look at what we look like from God's perspective. What would we look like? How would we measure up? And, and we know that God looks at specific churches. We read about that in the Book of Revelation. He he writes, uh, church. He writes specific letters to the seven churches in Asia, and to some of them he said some pretty good things. Some of them he wasn't too happy with. Maybe one of these days we'll, we'll look at those. But uh, for example, to the church at Philadelphia. That's in Asia, not in Pennsylvania. The the church in Philadelphia in Asia Minor. He said, uh, "Behold, I have set before you an open door. Your opportunities are endless. There are challenges before you that no one can stop." Be nice to be at the church at Philadelphia, huh? And then Laodicea, he wrote to the church at Laodicea and he wrote to them. He says, you are lukewarm. You make me sick. I'll spew you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're so lukewarm you make me sick. I wonder what he would write to us. I don't know exactly what he would write, but I'm pretty sure it would be truthful he would tell us the truth. I had, a, I had a pastor mentor tell me very early in my ministry. He says, Pastor Roger, he says, you would be very wise not to listen too close to what people say at the door of the church after service. Because they're all going to tell you what a good sermon you preached. And then he looked at me and he says, and what do you expect them to say? Hey, Pastor, you're fat. You you expect people to say nice things. But I think God would tell us exactly what shape we were in if we were to listen to Him and have the courage to actually follow Him. God intended for 100% of His followers, every saint, every saint, you all raised your hand, He intended every saint to pitch in and make His church everything He intended to be. And so he gave each one of us a special way. A, he, he molded us and made us in, in a special way to serve him. And, and we're not all the same. We're not all the same. We, uh, we worked for a long time. We, we, we got some ideas from uh, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church. And we sat down with uh, our church staff. And we put together a, a class to try to help all of the saints in our church be ministers. To find a place where where they could be ministers. And and uh, we called it Shape. This is the class that you take to get in shape to ministry. Ba- basically it was, what do you look like when you serve God? When you're tempted to serve God, when you want to serve God, you want to be the body of Christ Each of us is uniquely designed and shaped by God to do certain things. You are unique. You are completely, wonderfully complex. You are a composite of a lot of different factors. And what I can do for God, you can't do for God. And what you can do for God, I can't do for God. Because we are uniquely made to do that. And what we need to understand is, as we look at other people... I can't expect you to be me. And you can't expect me to be you. We need to learn how to be what God made us to be in ministering in our world. And God has been molding and shaping you for the ministry since you were born. Actually, since before you were born. Uh, In the 139th Psalm, it said. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit them together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Colleen, I took that out of your your translation there. Uh, that's that's the Living Bible translation of Psalm 139, 13, and 16. So, we, we use the acrostic shape. What shape are you in for ministry? The S stands for spiritual gift. You know, the, the very first thing that God did for you when you got saved was give you a gift for ministry. And hopefully, if I were to say to you, could you tell me what your spiritual gift is? You'd be able to say to me, this is it. But if you don't know exactly what it is, you, know, you need to discover your gift. Now, there are tests you can take. Some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are right, some of them are wrong. The best way that uh, you can discover what your spiritual gift is is just jump in and get started doing something and if God blesses it, that's your gift. If uh, it doesn't work out so good, maybe you need to try something different or some something else. But you just get started doing some kind of a ministry, and when it's your gift, God will supply the results. You know why people don't do that? You know why people don't do that because they're afraid that if they completely sold out to God, they would send him, they would send them to somewhere in the world that they don't want to go. You know, I'm afraid to sell out totally to God because he might send me back to Texas. You know, there there may be something that God would do and and you didn't want to do it or he'd want you to do something in the church that you don't want to do. The h s h the h is your heart for ministry. What is your heart The Bible uses the term heart to represent the center of your motivation, the center of your desires and your interests and your inclinations. Your heart determines why you say the things you do, why you feel the way you do, and why you act the way you do. And each of us is unique. Another way we might use it instead of your heart is what is your passion for ministry? The problem is that spape doesn't make near as good an acrostic as shape. And so we say heart. What is your, your heart for ministry? Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You see, your heart for ministry determines what interests you and what will bring you the most satisfaction and fulfillment. God will never ask you to do what he doesn't give you a heart for. What is your heart's desire for the church? God has probably gifted you at that point. You know, One of the places that, that, that we mess up and one of the reasons that we get in trouble with, with other believers is because I have a heart, a passion for ministry that's not the same one you have. We need to have Understand that God has given me a heart and a passion for ministry. The, um, the third one, the A, are abilities. You know, when, when you set out to do a ministry, you need to have the ability to do it. What is it that you can do? The Puerto Rican lady could love children and speak six or seven words of English. That's what she was able to do. And we all have different abilities. We're not all the same. Uh, you know, we, we just don't have the ability to do things that, that others do. And some of you are thinking, well, where the church is concerned, I just don't have any abilities. Did you know that, that studies show that every person has in the neighborhood of 500 to 700 skills you didn't know you could do that much stuff, did you? What is your heart to use in one of those skills to minister to others? What abilities do you have that God can use? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Use your abilities for God's glory in one way or another. When... Uh, when I was living in New Mexico, I had a got an invitation to go down to oh gee I don't remember where it was, it was somewhere down in the southern part of the state and address a a banquet for the fellowship of Christian athletes and uh, we did uh, it was in las cruces we we did a golf tournament first and then We had the banquet that night, and the guest speaker at the banquet was a Major League Baseball player. His name was uh, John Wetland. I don't know if you remember him or not. He was a relief pitcher for the Albuquerque Dukes and then for the Los Angeles Dodgers and then for the Texas Rangers and then for the New York Yankees. That's how I know him. He was playing for the Yankees at the time. And uh, we went down to this, this golf tournament banquet and everything, and he was in the group of golfers w- right in front of me. Uh, and when we pulled in after we'd played golf, and we pulled in, and and he was sitting there. All the clubhouse boys at this golf course, and you know there were probably ten of them, maybe, were all gathered around his cart. Well, you know I knew why they they were there. You know he was a he was a celebrity. He was a he was a major league baseball player and and they were all standing there talking to him and everything and uh, this just as we pulled up this other kid comes comes walking up and he looks over and he says are you a major league baseball player and john wetland's still sitting in his cart and he says well he says that's what it, that's what i do for a living he says but my real job is serving jesus christ as my Lord and Savior you see he was using the skill that God gave him to witness and to share with others he had a baseball card looked just like a Topps baseball card had his picture on the front and John Wetland and on the back it had his testimony and how he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior and an invitation for whoever had that card to, to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior He was a a witness for Jesus Christ. He used his ability to minister. The P, S-H-A-P, is personality. What is your personality type? And how does it color your ministry for the Lord? God knows what you're like. And he gifts you and gives you a ministry that's compatible with your ministry. God loves variety. He must because he, he... he created us so different. Some people are introverted. Some people are extroverted. You know, some people just can't stand to be by themselves. Drives them nuts. Others of us have to really have time apart from other people so we can charge our batteries. That's the, that's the, it doesn't mean that you're never around people. It means that where, when do you charge your batteries? There are some people who love routine. You know, you give them a job to do, and they're going to make it routine. You do the same thing every day, every time, in, day in and day out, and and they find real comfort in the routine, powder, power, pattern. But there are some people who just can't do that. They they don't want to do the same thing over and over again. They want to do different things. They want to do the unexpected. They don't mind venturing into an area where angels would think twice before going. Because they're they're looking for something different. There are some people who are thinkers and other people who are feelers. You know, thinkers take a situation and they think and they ponder and they figure and they use logic. And until they come to a decision, feelers just know what you ought to do. Because they feel it. You know, which are you? Are you a thinker or a feeler? Some people work better all by themselves. Other people work better when they're on a team. You know, you you think about all those things when you begin to to decide, how am I going to serve God? Do I need to have a team or can I do something on my own? And God uses all, all kinds of people. All kinds of personalities. And then the E is experience. What experiences have you done? What have you done that you enjoyed and that you were successful at? You know, that includes things like education and subjects and past ministry experiences. You know, you know that God can use the negative experiences in your life to help you minister to others. As a matter of fact, that's one of the ways that God uses more than any other, is to take the things that have happened to you negatively and give you a compassion and a heart for those folks so that you can reach out to them and love them. We had a young lady join our church. Um, After she'd been there um, a couple of months, she came and talked to me and... uh, she wanted me to go visit her husband, and he he had just been arrested for possession of marijuana. I understand this was in Utah, where it wasn't legal, uh, and it was before it was legal here. And you know, it was a pretty big deal. You know, was, he was uh, arrested for drugs, and I said, "Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go see him," but the truth is, is I. I didn't have a clue what to say to him. I, you know, I never used drugs. I, uh, scouts honor. The only time I was ever around marijuana was at a party when I was at, in the University of New Mexico and it scared me to death. I don't want to be, even be here. Um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do, but one of our deacons, who was also one of my good friends, had been into drugs before he accepted Christ. So I said, Hey Ken, why don't you come and go with me and we'll go talk to Kevin. He says, well, why do you want me to go? And I told him why I wanted him to go. And so we went and we witnessed to him kind of like a tag team. My friend told him all about his life before he knew Christ. And then I shared with him how Jesus Christ had died on the cross for his sins and what the resurrection meant for him. And then my friend again told him the difference that Christ made in his life. And just kind of that tag team thing. And God used my friend's experience with drugs to win another man to Jesus Christ. God uses those. His wife had witnessed to him many times. He had been to church and heard the gospel and the plan of salvation. But he needed somebody with a particular shape to share Jesus with him. And he accepted Christ. God created you with a particular shape, as well. I want to, I want to conclude this morning by telling one of my favorite stories. It's about a ministry that takes a particular shape to accomplish. This is about this Tony Campolo tells this story, um, and it's about a little boy named Teddy. Teddy's mother died when he was in the third grade, and he wasn't a very nice little boy. Nobody liked Teddy. Mrs. Thompson was his fifth grade teacher. Mrs. Thompson didn't like Teddy. You know, it's tough when your teacher do not like you. It was Christmas time, and all the kids had brought Mrs. Thompson a Christmas gift and Teddy had brought Miss Thompson a Christmas gift. And when she opened the package, there was an old, used, broken bracelet with one of the stones missing, and a already open bottle of cheap perfume. <laughs> she opened it and she started to just put it away, say something, put it away when she noticed that the other children were laughing at Teddy for his gift. And so she reached in the box and she took the bracelet and she put it on her wrist and put a little bit of the perfume on her wrist and then she held it up and said to the children, isn't it beautiful? And the other children stopped laughing at Teddy. At the end of the day, after... Everybody had left. Teddy kind of held back. And he said, I remember her, his mother had died two years ago. He said to her as he left the room, Mrs. Thompson, you smell like my mother. And her bracelet looks pretty on you too. It broke her heart. After Christmas vacation, when they went back to school, Mrs. Thompson was a different teacher she began to pay attention to uh, all of the kids, but especially Teddy. She took a special interest in him. She helped him catch up because he, he had fallen behind in, in his grades. And, and he, he catched, help her helped him catch up so that he was back on grade level when she graduated him to the sixth grade. Seven years later, Mrs. Thompson received a letter. Just came out of the blue. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I am graduating from high school today. I'm second in my class. Thank you for your help. Teddy Stoddard. Got her heart. Probably got your heart too. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great story. And then four years later, Dear Mrs. Mrs. Thompson, I'm graduating first in my class today. The university has not been easy. Thank you for your help, Teddy Stoddard. And then, dear Mrs. Thompson, Today I'm receiving my doctor's degree Teddy Stoddard, M.D. How about that? Teddy. And then, Dear Mrs. Thompson, Next month, on the 27th, I will be getting married. I would like for you to come and sit where my mother would have sat. Teddy Stoddard. She went. She changed his life. Because one day, when Teddy was a fifth grader, she did something that Teddy Stoddard never forgot. When you reach out and touch people, you use the gift and the heart and the ability and the personality and the experience that God gave you. And you reach out with the hands and the heart of Jesus Christ. They never forget. Just a little thing can change a life forever. And that's what God sees when he looks at us. It's what God sees when he looks at you. He sees a gifted Christian, someone he has gifted to serve others. And he says in the book of Ephesians, "My people called my church who are my body in the world can make such a difference in the community and it can do so much for us as well. What does God see when he looks at you? That's probably Jennifer's. It's in the black purse. Tell her to take it with her next time. What does God see when He looks at you? What, what, what's your shape? Do you know what your shape is? Do you know how you're reaching others in Jesus' name? To build up the body of Christ in our community? You know, that's how God envisions His people working in His world. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name. is that you would enable us to reach people for Jesus Christ, to love them, to care for them, to reach out to them. Father, help us to be the church in the world that you intended us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. doesn't stop.